Hey guys, this is Din. And this is Rish. And welcome to Z Talk, the Zelda Dungeon Podcast. Hey guys, so uh, we're going to start with Athenian 200's podcast submission. She noticed some very interesting comparisons between Link's Awakening and Phantom Hourglass and wanted to share them with us. Alright, take it away, Athenian. Hello, Zelda Dungeon. I'm here to briefly discuss Link's Awakening and Phantom Hourglass. There seem to be a lot of parallels between these games. Handheld, they're both handheld Zelda games. You're separated from your ship at the beginning and find yourself on Unknown Island. They're reflections of the games before them. Link's Awakening is a parallel to A Link to the Past, and Phantom Hourglass is parallel to Wind Waker. <clears throat> There's a large fish at the end, and the whole game seems to have been a dream. And yet, something remains to dispel this perception and leave you in doubt. In Link's Awakening, you see the wind fish and possibly a winged marin. In Phantom Hourglass, you see Linebeck's ship, and find that you're still carrying the empty Phantom Hourglass. Despite having similar themes, however, I think that they had different perspectives. Here are the important differences. In Link's Awakening, you're trapped on one island for the whole game. In Phantom Hourglass, you travel to several islands. Link's Awakening is about escaping a nightmare, or possibly one's own shadow, while Phantom Hourglass is still about conquering something external. In Link's Awakening, the typical Zelda rescuing theme is absent, and the whole world seems goofy and unbelievable in some ways. In Phantom Hourglass, saving Zelda, Tetra, is still the main motive for moving forward with the plot, and the world seems perfectly reasonable, aside from DS Isle, though it's an eerie reflection of Link's homeland. In Link's Awakening, you face your challenges alone, and most of the other characters barely seem real or aware of what's happening. In Phantom Hourglass, you have several companions. Celia, Linebeck, and Oceus are with you throughout the story, and play integral roles. Thus, I believe that Link's Awakening and Phantom Hourglass tell a story using the same style, but tell different stories. Link's Awakening tells the story of a lone hero who is never at peace with himself, has grown fairly distrustful of reality, and doesn't feel that anything is reliable. His battle is with his own psyche, and his own shadow. Phantom Hourglass tells the story of a reluctant hero who is pushed along his quest by external factors, and who is confident in what he's learned, and has come to trust and rely on others. In some ways the games are parallel, but they are also opposites. Very interesting. Thank you, Athenian, for your insight. Hey, Din. I've been thinking. What have you been thinking? You know what I really miss from some of the earlier games? The earlier games? You mean like the 2D games? Yeah. I really miss the beam sword. Really? Yeah. You know what? I think it'd be great to bring back the beam sword in uh, Skyward Sword. Really? Yeah. You know, the beam sword never really appeared other than in the 2D games. Well, I know, but I think with all the additions to the motion controls and stuff, it could really be good. Well, what about the spin attack, though? That's kind of like the beam sword. I mean, it doesn't fire forward, it fires all the way around you. Yeah, but with the spin attack, you had to charge it up, and you could use it whenever you wanted as long as you still had magic power. With the beam sword, you had to be at full health to use it. Hmm. Well, you know, I guess the only thing I'd be worried about would be, like... Because we did have a beam sword in Majora's Mask, kind of. Fierce. That, well, no, we did. 
that was severely overpowered, though. I guess. it, And that's what I was just going to say was, as long as it... Because I always felt that using um, the Fierce Deity's Beam Sword against Majora was... Uh, it, well, it made it too easy. So, I guess it'd be kind of cool to have a Beam Sword and Skyward Sword, but it would have to not be that epic. Well, it wouldn't be, though. You'd have to be at full health. The second you get hit, you don't get to use it until you're back at full health. And, in general, if I remember correctly, it was about the same as hitting an enemy once with your sword. So it doesn't do any more attack uh, attack uh, damage? No, it does the same amount of damage. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting thought, but I like the spin attack. I always have. Well, you know what? I personally like the beam sword, and I'm going to put it out to all of our listeners. Which one do you guys like better? Did Do you guys want to see the beam sword in Skyward Sword? Or do you guys want to see the spin attack? Or do you want to see both? I was going to say, why can't we have both? Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. So what do you guys think? Write it below in the comments section. Let us know what you think. I personally, I, I, I want both. Ah, uh, it'd be cool to have both, but I think that might be too much. So now we're going to turn it over to Cool Dogs One, who has a dilemma. A Four Swords dilemma. Hello Zelda Dungeon, and this is Cool Dogs Underscore One. Today I'm going to talk about an idea that I call the Four Swords Dilemma. This idea deals with Four Swords being the first in a Zelda timeline. We're given this because Aonuma and Miyamoto have said it themselves. Well, what does it mean to be the first in the timeline? Are we talking about the first adventure of Hyrule? The first time we see a hero saving it? Or is it just simply it takes place before any other game that it's by date or time the first Zelda game? Well, we'll, the Four Swords Dilemma will get into this. First of all, I'm going to talk about the Four Links. Four, four Swords was bashed because it had multiple links. This idea was new, not traditional, and a lot of people didn't like it. Especially since with the Game Boy Advance, you were unable to play the Four Swords without a friend. And not many people were able to find a friend to do it. And then, just in general, people didn't like it because it wasn't Legends of I admit, I didn't like it. Until I started taking up the fo of the Four Swords Dilemma and it started to ease my dislike for the Four Swords. If we look at Majora's Mask in Ocarina of Time, we know that Link is able to time travel. We order to take this idea into consideration with other heroes, let's say four different heroes. And each of these four heroes all time travel back to the time and date of the four swords games. This would allow four links to exist at once. And they would all be different links from different eras. Now, if we look at the title four swords, we this gives us the idea that maybe there might be four different swords because the game isn't called the four heroes. Ask any Zelda fan, and they're going to say that the main sword of Legend of Zelda is a Master Sword, but it's not the only one. Looking at Phantom Hourglass, we know the Phantom Sword exists, and similarly with Spirit Tracks, we know the Locomo Swords exist. 
this gives us three different swords. Master Sword, the Phantom Sword, and Locomo Swords. We may not know the Force Sword. It might come from the Oracle games or it might come from a new one. We have yet to know. But, no but now we have four different links for of four different eras and four different swords with four different abilities. Now, we have to look at... Now, looking at four swords, timeline-wise, well, this came up with two ideas. The first idea is that it creates a fork in timeline, two different parallel timelines. We've seen this with a lot of different timeline theories. The second is that it creates a loop timeline. That, if you were to picture a timeline like a clock, four swords would be at the top, and each other game that happens after it would be different times throughout the hour. Looking into the first idea, if we were to say that uh, it has two paths, we look at the first path. This path is the path that all adventures of Link and Hyrule existed, and that the Link or the heroes have to save Hyrule. And at the end of this path, the last hero with the last fourth sword goes back to the four swords. And the Four Swords event happens. Well, this was the second path that happened because of the Four Swords event would probably be a path with nothing. Because if the Four Swords were able to save Hyrule and not let evil come again, there would be no point for the different heroes. And then looking at our loot or clock timeline, you would see that Four Swords would be the last venture of the Legend of Zelda series, yet it would be the first in the timeline, it would have this dual meaning. And this seems kind of confusing and I don't really like it because it would suggest the idea that that as Hyrule goes on, it's just going to go through this loop and heroes will come and go and four swords will come. But anyways, neither of these are official, which brings up one of my last points. I'm sort of curious to get comments about this. It'd be very beneficial for me to get some other input. With this other input, I might make a thread or a news post about this Force Watch dilemma and maybe add more details and build up on it. And sp more specifically, build some diagrams to make it more easier to picture. And that is the Force Watch dilemma. Now, on a side note, if you have a little extra time, with from school and or work you should look at our forums they're pretty interesting in most of my theories if you like this four swords theory i have other ones on the forums that you may read through also you can also private message me or visitor message me with any comments about the four swords dilemma or any of my previous theories or if you have any technical problems with the side forums you can contact me that too and on a side note there's this new group fad or meme that I've created. It, it, if you go to the community, it's small text link at the top of the forms. You should then get a drop down menu, click groups, and then look for the group that's called So I Heard Lossy Kate Loves the Photoshop. This is just a simple group that all we pretty much do is ask Lossy Kate what she thinks about the photoshops and let her know that she is cared as she is one of the favorite members of the ZD forms. And with that, I give you my thanks for listening to our podcast and visiting Zelda Dungeon. Thank you, Cool Dogs. 
I'm not much of a timeline person myself, preferring to avoid the fights that usually come with those conversations, but you know what? I really enjoyed this submission to the podcast. Thanks again. Just as a point of interest, I know that uh, Cool Dogs has also opened a thread on this on our Zelda Dungeon forums, so if you want to talk about this more or uh, see some other people's opinions on it, you should head on over there and check it out. So, Zetox trying something new this cast. We want to do... The Keaton Quiz! Really, Din? A Keaton Quiz? Of course, yes! Alright, okay. You, you don't think that's fun? I think that's so much fun! Alright, alright. You get the first question, are you ready? Why do I get the first question? Because it's your turn, because it's the first one. Okay, fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Zelda Trivia. It's the category. How many masks are in your inventory in Majora's Mask? Including transformation and... Yeah, you're in your inventory. Um, 28? 24? 24. I'll say 24. Ding, 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 ding! Yay! You're correct. Good. Well, I'm glad I got that one right. Um, okay, Din. What are the names of the four Poe sisters in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask? Oh, 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 um, Meg, the purple one is Meg, Joelle is the red one, Beth is the blue one, and the green one is, oh, oh, don't tell me, Amy, Amy! You are correct! <laughs> yes! Alright, you know what, because I had to answer the first one, I get to say the first one that's geared for the audience. Okay, okay. Okay, you know what, guys? Here's your question. I want to hear, what date was the first Zelda Dungeon podcast? So Z-Talk. When was Z-Talk first aired? So, toss down your answers in the comment section below the podcast here. And we'll let you know if you're right. Wait, wait, one more question for the Keaton quiz. This one isn't on the list, but this is... Personal trivia. Who's it for? It's for you. It's for me. When is Din's birthday? When is your birthday? Yeah. Um, I know this. Hold on. Um, no, really, I know this. Rishian. Um, okay, you you know what? You know what? Um, I'm going to get you guys to answer this for me, okay? When is Din's birthday? Put it in the comment section below. You don't know when my birthday is. Okay, you know what? Let's cut over to random person's uh, podcast submission while I try to uh, sort all this out. Rishian! Sup, ZD? Random person here. Now, we've all seen the undead things in Hyrule that should be remaining in the ground. Uh, we've gone into the graves and we've seen the redead. We've walked around Hyrule at night and we've seen the style children. Uh... But I got to thinking, what exactly determines one person, what a person becomes after they die? How exactly does one go from dead to re-dead? Haha, <laughs> fun with words. <laughs> um, and I do believe that I have found a correlation between how to become such and such. So if you want to go to Hyrule and you want to become one of these things, you sicko, I think I know the way to do so. Uh, these theories are going to be talking mainly about Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and a little bit of Twilight Princess, but not too much Twilight Princess because I'm not sure that all of these things apply to Twilight Princess, but I'm pretty sure they do to Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Alright, let's get down to it. 
first th the first theory some people are probably going to say that oh well it could just be random well as lovely as the word random is the word random should not be used in vain let's get that out of the way if something's going to be random you need to prove that it's random and i think i've got to prove here to prove that this stuff is not random okay first thing on my list is everybody's favorite three dead yeah i freaking hate those guys um how does exactly how did how exactly does one become re-dead though well my theory is is that in order to become re-dead a you have to die two you have to become yet you your body has to remain intact and then trace your somebody alive has to re-summon you back up and the reason i believe this is because re-dead are always guarding something they're guarding graves, they've been seen guarding graves in Ocarina of Time, they've been seen guarding parts of Ganon's territory, which makes you to believe that Ganon can summon these things. And uh, in Majora's Mask, they guard Ikana Castle, as well as the stone tower climby part thing, yeah. And in Twilight Princess, they guard parts of the Arbiter's Grounds. Uh, that makes me think that other people have put them there to guard their treasures or their entrances. So, recap, to become re-dead, die, keep your body, have somebody alive summon you. Uh, and that leads me to my next topic, which is Gibdos. How exactly does one become a Gibdo? Gibdos are, actually it turns out, they're re-dead, but bandaged, bandaged up. But I don't think the process to become a Gibdo is the same as it is to become a Redead. I think a Gibdo, you raise yourself, your body raises itself up. And it's because you, when you die, you want something physical. If you are you play Majora's Mask, you know that you have to talk to all those Gibdos and they always want something from you. And that's because Gibdos want something physical to take with them before they're ready to move on to the next place or whatever. Um, and once they, that happens, they rest pretty much and you don't you don't see them anymore so in order to become a Gibdo you have to die keep your body and when you die you have to want something you know all this applies to Hyrule by the way it's not gonna work in real life um, but and then my next topic uh, what is the next topic my next topic is the Pogos that's what it is how does one become a Pogost Originally, I thought in order to become a Pogos, you had to be a Gerudo, uh, because I heard that Gerudos, the uh, Pogos were called sisters, but I, I had not heard them called boys before, so I thought, you know, there's a correlation there. But then I found evidence that didn't support that. So uh, one of those evidence was that the compro the composer brothers, I believe, are very powerful Pogos. Um, and of course, if they're composer brothers, then they can't be Gerudos because there's only one male born every such and such years in the Gerudos. Plus, it states in the Ocarina of Time book that Gerudos haunt their own grave and they attack when somebody gets near their grave. In Ocarina of Time, most Gerudos are found, uh, sorry, most Poes are found in the graveyard, in, in Kakariko Village graveyard and in the field after the seven years have passed. Not many are found in the desert, which is where Gerudos would be. Um, so I'm thinking most of the Poes in Ocarina of Time are probably um, knights that died. And it makes sense because, you know, that's the 
that their graves in the graveyard, of course, and people probably died over the past seven years uh, and were buried in Hyrule Field. Now, I believe in order to become a Poe ghost, you have to die, you have to be buried, and then you have to not want to leave, pretty much. Not like Gibdos. Gibdos are ready to leave. They just want something physical to take with them. I believe Poes just don't want to go. Uh, so, yeah. That's how you become a Poe ghost. Next on my list is, uh, it incorporates a large group, is the style people. Um, first thing about, first part of the style people I want to talk about is the style And that's pretty self-explanatory on how to become a style It says in Ocarina of Time, style are people who got lost in the Lost Woods. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that works out in Twilight Princess since Stafos are mainly found in uh, the Arbiter's Grounds, but you know, I can't argue with what Ocarina of Time says. So, now the rest of them the Style Children, uh, Captain Kida, and the King of the of Kana and his subordinates. I consider all these things style people. And how does one become a style person? Well, I believe in Termina, I don't think you can become a style person. I believe that all the style people were once their own race that lived in Ikana. And, uh, and nobody else can really become them. Uh, they all have similar traits, you know, similar body structures. Uh, the king and Captain Kita and the subordinates, they're all pretty big. Um, and they all seem to have a weakness to light. I mean, the really the skull ch the style children only come at night, and the king and his subordinates don't really like sunlight. And the only time, uh, and the captain is uh, actually weakened by light arrows more so than normal arrows. So the, the, these people they share a similar trait. So I'm thinking, they yeah they're their own race. So. If you want to become one of them, you'd have to be one of their race, which is now extinct since everybody kind of is pretty much dead. Um, yeah, and that's it. So if you want to become a style person or that's not a style foe in Ocarina of Time, too bad for you. And next is the Garrows, which only appear in Majora's Mask. How exactly does one become a Garrow? Well, I believe the Garrows are similar to the style people. Um, it says they were people sent to spy on the people of Ikana, and once they died, they still they still spy to this day. Um, so yeah, but a lot of people think that, uh, or maybe not a lot, but some people think that uh, the Garrows are actually them that haunt term or not yeah uh, the ranch in Terminal Romani's ranch. I myself do not believe that at all. Uh, the scientist does mention that they are seen a lot through the ranch, but I believe the sightings that are there, I think they're talking about the Gorman brothers who possess Garo Mass. The Garos themselves mistake Link for a Garo because he wears such a mask, so it would not be uncommon for somebody to mistake the Gorman brothers as they wear Garo Mask too. But yeah, so if you wanted to become a Garo, uh, too bad for you. Garrows were spies that sent by probably some of the race, and they died. And then the next people on my list is sages. Now, why would I mention sages? Sages seem like heavenly beings, not 
dead people. The reason I mention sages is because in Ocarina of Time, I believe every sage except for Zelda died uh, before they became a sage. And I believe once Link uh, defeated the person in the tower, or I'm sorry, the person in the temple, they became their sage power awakened and they were reborn as sages. Um, that's a whole argument right there. But yeah, so if you wanted to go to Hyrule and become a sage, that's too bad for you. Uh, sages are predetermined and you can't become a sage. Uh, and the final thing on my list is I call them spirits. They're actually called ghosts. That's actually the name for them. But I don't want to confuse them with pose. So for that, I'm going to call them spirits. And... These spirits include Dampe, Queen Retilia, Twin Rova, the king and his subordinates after they're defeated. And I believe in order to become a spirit, you have to die. I don't know whether or not your body must remain or it has to be lost, but you have to want to do something. Gibdos, not like Gibdos, Gibdos want something physical. They want they want milk, they want potions, they want something physical. Spirits want something done. Uh, Twin Rova and the King's subordinates, once they became ghosts or spirits, they wanted to kill Link, but once they realized they couldn't, they moved on. Um, Dampe wanted to race. The King of Ikana wanted to teach Link the song. And Queen Retilio wanted her kids safe. So. That is what I think about spirits, and that leads me to Hero Shade. Now, if you believe he is Link, which there is strong evidence to support that, if you believe he is Ocarina of Time Link, uh, that's you can argue that later. But he he does in fact want something done. He wants his lessons taught. What what I'm not sure about of him being the same spirit as Queen Retilia is that he can do certain things i mean he can take link to another dimension and teach him sword fights but that could just be that because he has more spiritual power than queen retilia but uh yeah if you want to become a spirit then you would die and then you would want to have something done and uh when it happens to these things after they're defeated i don't know exactly i mean the Poes have souls, but other than that, it's pretty much a big mystery. I mean, they probably go go on, or there could be some reincarnation in Zelda or something else like along those lines. But that's up for argument. Um, but that is my theory, or my multiple theories, about the dead people in uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and Somewhat Twilight Princess. And you can agree with me, or you can not, you know, I'm just some random person. Uh, my theories are not absolute. And, uh, you can have a nice think about that. Yeah, because that sounded smart. Uh, random person out. Thank you, random person. To be totally honest, I've never really thought about where the undead creatures come from in Zelda. Some really good ideas. 
So you guys, um, finally, we've been waiting for it, we've got some letters from the postman. He showed up today? He finally showed up and he brought us some questions. Awesome, okay, what's our first question? Our first question is from Link Huza. Okay. And his question is, what is the best game in the series for its sandbox mode or places to just have fun with? Ooh, good question. Hmm. Well, I would probably argue that Termina and um, Hyrule Field from Ocarina of Time are pretty boring and circular, with not much in them. So those are probably on the bottom of the list. You know what, though? I've, me personally, I gotta say Twilight Princess. I was gonna say, I think my answer would be Twilight Princess, because, you know, Wind Waker is just a giant ocean. It's the first one that has a true area of exploration. You don't have to go to these places. You can just go out and explore. So you mean all like the little, like the lantern tunnels and um, all the weird... And everything. All the Easter eggs in the game, all the different things that you have to find the or can find. Bugs you and don't... the pose. Yeah, anything you don't have to go out and find. So, and you don't have to go out and do the little side quests, everything. I've got to say that it's uh, definitely Twilight Princess at this point. Yeah, I guess we don't know what Skyward Sword's going to bring us, but um, I think it's... I don't know that I've ever run into a Zelda game that I truly thought, wow, this is great sandbox area, but I think Twilight Princess, like you said, is on the top of the list. Definitely, that's got to be the number one for us. Thank you, Link Huza, for your question. Uh, what, next letter. This one comes from Colonel Majora777. And he says, Hey Din, hey Rish. I've wondered about this, uh, this about a few Zelda Dungeon mods. How do you end up being a moderator on Zelda Dungeon? You know what? That was a really tough question, Colonel Majora777. So we ended up pulling in some extra help from PJ Depp. Go ahead, PJ. Hey guys, I'm PJ Depp, and I'm going to explain what you can do to be considered for a moderator position on our forums. Now, before I start, it's important to know that moderators aren't promoted on a regular basis, and that doing these things won't guarantee you a position. They're just some good things to keep in mind. One of the most basic things that the administration looks for moderators is a familiarity with the rules. Since you'll be enforcing them, a good knowledge of what they entail is essential. You can view the rules by hitting the Rules tab on the top left of the forum, and after you've spent a bit of time with us, you'll recognize them through experience. People who use the report function often, or otherwise let the already existing moderators know whatever issues pop up, are often considered for a promotion, as they demonstrate an understanding of the rules. Of course, that only applies if you report things that are actually breaking the rules, but don't be afraid to report things because of that. It's good to see people trying, we'd rather see something inappropriately reported than miss something potentially threatening. There are a few misconceptions I want to clear up. One of them is the idea that we only make members who have been with us for years moderators. This is occasionally true. For example, Kyberian was made a moderator after spending two or three years at the forum. However, it is not a given. I was made a moderator after six months, and Duck Noises had only spent two months with us before being promoted. Another stereotype that I want to eliminate is the idea that you need to be a Hylian Knight or Hylian Noble to become a moderator. 
For those of you who don't know, those are honor rankings on the forum given to outstanding posters. While it's true that they're often heavily considered, there are moderators who don't have either ranking. Duck Noises and Zeman are two examples of that. One thing you definitely shouldn't do is publicly let users know that they've broken the rules. For example, if you see a post that is in the wrong section of the forums or is otherwise offensive, don't bring it up within the thread. There are two reasons for this. It bumps the thread to the top of the forum and allows it to get more attention. And even if you let the user know what they've done, that they've done something wrong, in most cases they can't actually do anything to fix it. For example, if they post a thread in the wrong section, they can't move it themselves, so letting them know is only going to make them worried. Once the moderator has moved the thread to the correct section or taken care of whatever the problem was, they'll let the person know. So it's going to get done either way, so it's unnecessary. Alright, I hope this gave all of you who are wondering a better idea of what we're looking for in moderators. Good luck. Thank you, PJ. Rish and I had uh, started brainstorming on answering that question, and after we'd had a few things written down, we thought, well, how about we answer this the best way we can? Ask a mod. So, we got you to do it for us. Thank you again for doing all that work. <laughs> Alright, we've got one more uh, letter here, and it's from Justin, and it's pretty short and simple. Which do we prefer for smashing, the hammer or the ball and chain? Din, you go ahead first. <laughs> Rich smash? Rich smash! <laughs> um, well, what do I like to smash with? I guess probably the hammer. The ball and chain was cool, don't get me wrong, it was really, really cool. Um, but, you know, it, trying to aim it was not so great, whereas the hammer, you just kind of stood and pounded. You know what, though? I, I've, I've got to go with the ball and chain, actually. Do you? It's got the distance to it. That's true, it does. It's not just, uh, right in front of me, super slow doesn't do. I'm pretty impressed that Link can swing it around his head indefinitely, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Something that large and with the spikes well, and everything. technically the Megaton Hammer is supposed to be extremely heavy as well. Okay, so Link's got huge pipes. Link does have huge pipes. Alright, thanks for your question, Justin. Okay, you guys, so we're always looking for more questions. So we want you guys to email us. So send us your Zelda questions, your Zelda dungeon questions, or really anything. Any kind of questions, even personal questions for us. So send your emails to dinandrish at gmail.com. And also, we want to hear from you. Let us know in the comments what you thought of the podcast. You want to answer the trivia questions that were directed at you. And all that sorts of stuff. And keep those submissions coming in. We want to hear your opinions too, not just ours. So this was Din. And this is Rish. And this was Z Talk, the Zelda Dungeon Podcast.